In episode 26 of Kill Histories, we hear from a big fan's favourite of very recent times. A centre-back with a habit of making vital contributions at both ends of the pitch. Kilmarnock player, Scotland international, and even a supporter. I'm Gordon Gillen, and this is Stuart Findlay. sure if you will remember Freddie Dindaloo that played for Kilmarnock, that's not the question, but I'm not sure if you remember Freddie Dindaloo, huge cult hero in the 90s, left-sided centre-back, and Kilmarnock fans compare you very favourably to Freddie, and I just wonder what it is that you think about you and your game meant that Kilmarnock fans took to you so well? I mean, first of all, I hadn't heard of Freddie until obviously when I was at the club, um... Obviously, I'm involved in Twitter and stuff. I got it a few times, and like you sort of, you do enough research to sort of find out that that is a very endearing term. It's not; a, it's a good thing to be compared to. And I don't know. I think I've always said this. My time at Kelly was always it didn't start out the way that it finished. I think that's for sure. Like I think when I first came in, when I came in on loan, it was a sort of brief loan spell that people would probably would have forgotten about, and that was it over with. It wasn't great by any means and then obviously when I came back I came back a better player and I think I'm the ultimate player I was talking about this the other day actually I'm the ultimate player with confidence if I've got confidence and I believe the people watch me believe in me then I think I produce my best and I think once I realised that the commandment fans had my back the commandment fans believed what I could do it gave me the confidence that I could drive out with the ball I could sweep in behind take the ball and like carry it forward play passes that maybe they weren't accustomed to centre-backs playing and I think that's probably I then if I scored a couple of important goals as well I think that all sort of just added down to like a really nice relationship that I had with the fans and as I said the more that I realised that they they appreciated me I think the more it made me play better on the field because I've got that inner confidence I just wanted to express myself That first loan spell it is something I was going to ask about what was it that made you take the punt again? on another shot at Kelly? I think the main reason is I'm kind of a, I'm quite of a stubborn nature. I'm kind of, yeah, stubborn's the word I'd use. Like when I first went to Kelly, that was my third loan spell. I'd been on loan at Morton. I'd done well. I think Morton fans had a good memory of me. When I went to Dumbarton, I'd done really well and it was like probably my best game of football. And then I thought, yeah, go to Kilmarnock, hit the ground just do it all over again and it didn't work. It just I, I was in the team, I was out of the team, I didn't play great, I was playing at left back, which um, it's no secret, I'm, it's not my, my best position. It's just, just a lot of mixture of things just didn't go well and then I had a really good season for Newcastle. Lee McCulloch at the time obviously knew me really well and I said to myself, you know what, Like I've got a point to prove at Kilmarnock, like, the fans haven't seen in a full year, I, I maybe showed in a handful of games what I was capable of. I was like, I know if I can go back there. I, I wanted to prove to people that I was there for a reason. And then I, I don't like failing somewhere. And that's the reason. I, I said the first solo still probably was a failure for my own part. I said, I want to go back and I want to see what I can do. And I think that was the main motivation for me to go back. I wanted to prove that I was better than what I showed. And... It might have not happened straight away. Obviously, we came in under Lee McCulloch. It wasn't great to start with, but fast forward a couple of years, and I think it might have took a bit of time, but I think I eventually got the sort of level that I wanted to show all the fans that I knew all along as capable of. It just a matter of, as I said, I'm a massive confidence player. Once I got the confidence, once I had the belief in myself and people had the belief in me, I knew it was going to come. Playing left back. How much involvement would you have? The example being Christopher Iyer. And when he played on loan for Kilmarnock, he was coming to Kilmarnock, they say, to retrain from that central midfield position to centre-back. But you've come from Celtic as a centre-back and playing left-back. How much involvement would Celtic have in that? And would you have in that? To be honest, when I first, my first loan spell, I don't think I played that many games at left-back. I think I did mostly play at centre-back, but 
at that point you don't at that point I didn't it wasn't an idea to play me at left back. It wasn't the plan. It was just a matter of I can't get in the team at centre back at the moment. If I can get in the team I'll play anywhere. Play me in goals as I played in the goals. You know what I mean? Like I just want to play football and then funnily enough, it was at the start of the Steve Clark era, I must have played maybe 10, 11 games at left back. And again, I wasn't great at left back and then again I, I played seven or eight games signed myself out of the team under Steve Clark and it wasn't until I got back in I got a chance at centre back it, like, it's funny that first season that I put down as a resounding success under Steve Clark I, I didn't play for a good chunk in the middle I maybe only played the last seven or eight games but the fact the idea about the left back thing especially under Steve Clark to get in a Steve Clark commandment team, you'd have played anywhere, and I was more than happy to play left back. If he phoned me up tomorrow and said, "Like you're playing left back," and in any of his teams, I would I would do it because you want to play for him. But it is funny, like that first season, half of it was probably about a third was left back, a third wasn't in the team, and then the last third is when I really played well at centre back, and you forget about the two thirds because of how well it finishes. It was funny, like because when I first came in. Uh, Steve Clark's first game, well, not his first game, the first game I came to watch away at Partick Thistle, I played left-back in that game, the game, I think we won 2-0 and Rizal scored a really nice goal that game. I played left-back, I remember my first meeting with Steve Clark the next day, he said to me, he's like, oh, so have you always been a left-back? I was like, well, I'm, I'm not a left-back at all, I said, I'm a centre-back, he went, well, I'm, I think it started once it showed up he played Gordon Gray and Cup Godfrey that was the partnership for the first while and then it wasn't until I remember my first game for centre back under Steve Clark we played against Hibs at home and the Hibs were 2-0 up after 8 minutes I remember and we came back and drew 2 each but I played centre back that game played really well actually and I thought that was me in and then the next game Steve Clark being Steve Clark put me back on the bench away to Hearts because Gordon Gray was fit again but I came on at half-time that game and then ever since, I think I started every game under Steve Clark, that was fit and I think I proved to him in the couple of games what I could do. Obviously, Hibs and Hearts were big games and it's funny what your mind makes you remember because sometimes I forget as well but then under, as soon as that happened, I, never, I think it's the issue of I never looked back and ever since then I was I was a mainstay in his team whenever I was fit and I think I just came on leaps and bounds from then. And it's something that I think we're all guilty of, and I think that's a really good way of putting it, that if you look forward, then you are going to kind of forget some of these details because it's too easy a trap, I guess, to fall into, to think Stuart Finlay's time at Kilmarnock, it was week in, week out at centre-half, it was the game against Hearts, it was the game against Celtic, it was the, the goal against Partick Thistle, which was a really important yeah. goal. It's the Scotland cap, but there's so many, and that's why, obviously, I'd love to talk about a couple of games that you know you would like to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. But um, what benefits from, and I'm talking that first loan spell, what benefits did you get from that as a player? I think it, it taught me how to how to handle setback. It was the first time as a, in a professional environment that I had been on the bench. It was the first time I'd sort of been out of team. And it was the first time that I really questioned myself about where I was going to go with my future. Like It was easy enough to do it in the Scottish Championship at the time. At Morton and Dumbarton, I'd done well there. And I thought to myself, maybe this is too far a step up for me. Maybe I'm not ready for this level of football. And I think it was, I became a lot more mentally strong during that year. And it made me a lot more focused, I think, on what, because I was sort of just riding on the crest of a wave, thinking, take the next challenge as it comes. It wasn't until I got knocked down, I sort of realised, like, no, I, need to, I, need to, I need to get to the, where I want to be here. And I think that's the biggest thing that I learned from that. How did you deal with the disappointment? You just sort of, you just have to sort of get on with it. Like, it's one of the phrases people use in football, and it's very cliche, but it's very, very true. Like, never get too high and never get too low in football, which I don't agree with because I believe in football. There's so many lows that when you do get a high, you should milk it for all it's worth, as I have with some of the results we used to have at Commander because I thought to myself, I don't know when I'm going to have a time like this again. But that was a case of. And it's a case that I've sort of been dealing with in Philadelphia a little bit. Like, I understand why I'm not in the team. I'm doing really well, but the guys playing are flying. We're top of the league. And you have to just keep working hard. You can't give it a bad attitude. You can't give up. I think that's the main thing, mate, because you never know. Like, last year was crazy. I, I didn't really play. Obviously, I wasn't happy with that. Everybody knows that. I made it clear. But 
I kept working hard and before you know it, I'm playing an Eastern Conference final after not kicking a ball for months. And if you're not if you're not working hard, if you're not constantly making sure you're, you're ready, then when your chance comes, you're, you're only letting yourself down at the end of the day. So that's the first time I was out of the team when I realised, no, I need to work hard. I need to make sure that if this comes up, I'm ready to take this opportunity. And especially, on, again, under Steve Clark, when I wasn't playing, I said, I need to make sure I'm ready for when I'm playing. And then I took that chance and it always pays. In the end, it always pays to keep your head up, always pays to keep focused. And I think it showed. What do you look for in a central defensive partner? I mean, it can vary because I've played with quite a few over the years, but it's no secret, obviously, my most profitable partnership was the year or two under Steve Clark with Big Brothers. Like, Brothers is a guy that might split a lot of, a lot of people with their ideas, but there's no doubt in what he done the, that, the glory years, if you want to speak to Kilmarnock. And I, I don't know, I think... I'm a very, I'm a, I'm quite, I think I'm quite good at leading the game in behind, but I'm good at covering, sweeping in behind. I'm good at coming out with the ball at the back. But I think me and Broadfoot complement each other well. We were both very vocal. Broad was probably more physically vocal than I was at the time. But I don't know, like we just, he was very, very, very good at being on the front foot, attacking the ball, trying to step in, being aggressive with it because he knew that he had me in behind and I knew that I could go in behind because I knew that he was going to win 95% of the balls going forward anyway. So I think it's very hard to put your finger on what you look for because a good player is a good player. You can play with a lot of different players in a lot of different ways. But what I liked about Broders was you know what you're going to get from him and any good partnership, you know what's coming. The worst thing is when you don't know what your partner's going to do at the back. And I think that's very... Just as important as their centre back partnership is obviously my partnership with like the full back. And I think I had the exact same when I played with Greg. And even when Callum came into the team, that's the two left backs I played with. Like you always knew it was consistency. You knew when you got the ball, you knew where they were going to be. When they had the ball, you knew what they were going to do with it. And I think that's always like familiarity breeds success. And I think that that was very evident the way we played. We none of us at the back done anything. Fancy we've done our job, what the manager asks us to do. And I think that's the main thing. Somebody that you know is going to do what you expect of them and that means you can play off them. There was something you said in the Open Goal podcast, but you had said that you maybe aren't known for coming out, maybe with the ball at your feet. You weren't maybe associated with that style of play. And that surprised me a little bit. And I just wonder if that was you maybe like just being a bit modest. It's a funny one. I think if you ask any Kilmarnock fan, they'll tell you exactly how good I could do with the ball at my feet. But it was, I think, I don't think any player at Kilmarnock got the the recognition they deserved under Steve Clark. And by far, the person that deserved the most credit was Steve Clark. There's no denying that at all. And it was amazing. But I think the individual performances that people put in, people still see me just as big steady centre-half that played at the back in a solid team. But I think, I believe in myself and I knew what I could do with the ball, but I mean, I'm not a centre-back that's going to come out. I could spray a ball 50, 60 yards. It's not something I pride myself in being a defender. I always will. But I think it was more, I said that more in the case of people out with Kilmarnock didn't realise how good Kilmarnock were. The fans knew exactly what, what they had in the players. The fans loved us and we loved the fans and everything was perfect, but even when we finished third, it was... I still don't think we got the credit we deserved. And obviously the manager did we get the Scotland squad and maybe people say it got proved right because obviously the next season didn't didn't go the way we wanted. But the couple of years, we had players playing at the top of our game. I think out with the Kilmarnock faithful, which knew exactly what we could produce, I don't think anybody really understood what, we, what individuals were capable of. I think that's a very fair comment. I think that's... I totally agree with that. That's something that I think sometimes, and I don't know, in fact, this isn't about my opinion, so I'm going to ask you, you have talked in glowing terms about Steve Clark and all the players talk, and I, I don't want to push this conversation down a particular path, but do we focus too much on the Steve Clark involvement? He played a big part, but do we sometimes lose track of that, of the ability of the individual players? I, I would say no. I'd say absolutely not because what Steve Clark done in such a short space of time, I don't think there's many teams in football who can 
say that they've had such a drastic turnaround. We had the players there, but you need somebody to bring it out. You need somebody to know how to use. Somebody had you had to know how to use Gary and Alan in the middle together. You had to know how to use swords to let them just unleash them down the wing. You had to know how to give JJ the ball at every opportunity. Like we had all these players, but we weren't playing the right way. You had to know, like. Well, we didn't have to know how to get Boyd to score goals. He's always done it. But you had to know what way to play that suited them in this Kilmarnock team. And I think before Steve Clark came in, I never really took an interest in it. But ever since Steve, I worked under Steve Clark, all I wanted to do in football was become a coach when I retired just because I wanted, like, what he'd done is something I'd love to be able to try and take into practice myself. And I think, yeah, the players done nearly well under him. He'll be the first to tell you the players done nearly well. But we done really well under his outrageously organised stewardship and everything that he brought with it. I think, yes, the players might have got overlooked. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, oh, poor us, poor us. We didn't get the recognition. I'm not at all. I know, because the only people we need recognition of is the commandment fans who gave us that in abundance. So that's not the issue. But what I mean is, yeah, we had the players doing well, but you can never ever down like downplay the part of Steve Clark played like because you could say as much as you wanted, but it wouldn't be enough to say what he'd done to galvanise and turn around that not even the squad, just the full football club in general. I've always said I owe everything in my career to what Steve Clark done for me, uh, club level and international level. And like don't get as I said, like when I done the open goal podcast. I got, I think I got severely lost in translation when it came on to like the Alessio stuff and things, but that wasn't the way that I was meaning that to come across. I understand that fans might have not been happy with the way it sounded, but that wasn't the case. But what I meant is like, you have this guy who came from Chelsea and everything is Alessio did, but it just shows how good Steve Clark must have been that like this guy came in with pedigree, but it's just so hard to to replace something that worked as well as that and it was always going to be a, a difficult thing and I think like like whatever happened happened but I just the main point is like the thing about Steve Clark is like as I said I've been open about it all the will be open like he was the biggest influence on my career and I very much doubt anybody will better that and going forward. I'm guessing I'm thinking um, Alex Ferguson goes and Moyes couldn't replace him. Van Hal mm. couldn't replace him. Ragnick can't replace him. You know, so I think sometimes there are figures that, whether it's twenty-five years or, or eighteen months, sometimes we'll just have that that impact. Right. Let's talk about a game. I'm not going to sidetrack you with 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 that. I'm going to ask you about a game. It's no secret that you've said that your number one moment was scoring the winning goal against Hearts in 2019. Absolutely vital goal. It led to that incredible third place finish. I guess I'm going to ask a really obvious, boring question, but why? Why is it that moment, ahead of the winner against Celtic, ahead of people want me to mention the goal-saving heroic chase down the park against St Mirren, to get a really, really, that was a vital, vital win that day or that night. What is it about the goal against Hearts? I can compare it to the other two to start with, like the Celtic game, an amazing moment, but I didn't actually think I played that well in that Celtic game, believe it or not. I was, I'd done okay that game, but I was playing half-injured at the time, and I had an okay game, so the goal was good, but... And then the St Mirren game, that was... If you, you said to me, can you think of any games yourself? That was a game I was going to mention, so we can always come on to that after, but it was that Hearts game. I just feel like the season had been so good. Unless I join a promotion-chasing team in the future, like, I can't see how that season's going to get beat for the success and the enjoyment I had out of it, the moments I had out of it. But we played that game, and Hearts were a good side. A hard, hard place, Tynecastle. I know we've notoriously got a good record there, but still, we just got beat off... We got beat off Aberdeen the first game we split, when we got three red cards. Mm. We got beat off Celtic in a game we played very, very well, and we just fought third place was slipping away it just wasn't we played really well the Hearts game with a couple of chances and I just thought like it's going to be a nil now. then it's we've got a lot to do we knew we had to win three games to get third place because we just knew Aberdeen were going to win some game and beat us to it and then that moment of the ball falling and me scoring and seeing I think 
for Kilmarnock, the Tynecastle away end, the best end to see our supporters. We got a really good section. We always take a good crowd and to score that goal. My biggest regret of my life is not just running beeline right into the middle of them and jump in. I've done some sort of pathetic high five thing along the side, but just to see that reaction when the ball went in, just to know what that game meant, and then after the game to hear like the Europe songs and. It's, it's just an outrageously special game and I just remember going home and it was like one of the very few times in football you just feel full contentment. I was in the bus and I was like, I could I could retire tomorrow and I'd be happy to finish on that because it was just such a moment. Like The last game of the season against Rangers was more relief getting over the line. It was like, as soon as the game's done, it was like I was exhausted after the Rangers game, but that Hearts game is the only game I can feel like it was true elation, and then to score, to be the guy that scores a goal, and a nice goal as well. It was, it was a just an unbelievable moment. As like still looking back at like anytime it comes up on my Twitter or I think about it, like, I need to watch it. Makes me smile. It just it was it was. I mean, it's anything you would dream of as a player to score a goal last few minutes in such a big game. It's just amazing. What a great way of putting it. <laughs> I know, I can't, like, it's it's hard to put it in words just because of, but as, the best way I can say it, just it, it was proper happiness. It wasn't the exhaustion, it wasn't the relief, it was just, I'm like, happy that was the best way to explain it. The only thing I'm going to pick you up on there is the celebration part. I thought it was a really good celebration because I, th- nah. I was going to ask you about your different types of celebration because the one against Celtic with a kind of like that. Yeah. And, but no, happy, the, happy with it. The heart, the heart song would have been nice to go right in the middle of the fans, but I might have provoked a pitch invasion if I tried that. So it probably better that I didn't. But no, it was, it was good. It was good. I don't think we could have had a pitch invasion. I think because the club was with the three red cards and the, the other things that were going on, I don't think we could have afforded to have any bother. I think we were. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's a great photo, though, that celebration. Yes, yes, fantastic photo, yeah. That Hearts game, and you've touched on it a little bit, and I'm not necessarily talking about the Hearts game specifically, although it might be the, the Hearts game. Did you feel any kind of change in expectations at any point in that season? And if you did, how did that kind of manifest itself? It was weird. Like, it wasn't a change of expectation from anybody out with. It was like, towards the end of the last season, we'd went and kicked off and we went on that amazing run to get fifth place. But it was the, it wasn't putting expectation on ourselves. It's just a matter of fact. Like, we went into a game and we just, and goes first thing we knew we were going to win. You went into a game and Megan, my, my wife, she's like the best example of this. The season before, ugh, in any football be the same. When I got home, it had been a bad result. She's like, oh no, it's going to be a, a quiet night in the house. But she said that season, it was brilliant. She said, I used to go out, just know, not even have to check the score, just check at half five. And she went, I knew come on with a one. You might have drew the odd game, but you're going to win. Like when we got beat, it was actually a shot. I don't, I think maybe for Livingston away, was the only game we lost a team in the top six uh, in the bottom six that season. I might be wrong, but I think that might be that's outrageous for a team to only lose one game. It was just a matter of not turning up because we obviously knew we had to do the game plan. But that Hearts game, for example, if you say to a Kilmarnock team any other year, I know I've always we've always had a good record there, but you're going to join now now at Tencastle, but not the worst result in the world. But that game is like oh, man. It's, that's that's poor for us. We need to win, and then when we scored, nobody was really surprised. It was more a case of when was it going to come, and then when it did come, it was. We got to the point we weren't even enjoying winning. We were enjoying winning, but it was more a case of like job done, like on to the next one, and like we're just looking forward. We knew, like we are going into games against Celtic Rangers that season, and it's you're disappointed you get beat. You don't care if you play well if you like we got beat. Obviously, Scott Brown scored that goal the last minute in one of the games when I was injured. I didn't play that game. And then the other thing, he'd be like, oh, glorious failure, unlucky come on. It was like, no, it's like, we, we, we could have beat them there. And that's, that's the mentality we had. Every game, everybody was terrified to play Kamala, maybe apart from Aberdeen. But apart from that, we were, any team we played, it was like, we always knew we had a right good chance to play our best. We were going to win the game. Just when you're talking about Aberdeen there, when I look at that Kilmarnock team, 
and I'm not just talking. I'm not talking about the technical players in the same kind of way, but I'm talking about the players who you would normally associate with certainly the main attributes or key attributes being physicality, game awareness. You're talking Kurt Broadfoot, Alex Bruce, Stuart Finlay, Alan Power, Gary Dicker, Yusuf Malumbu. Added then on the creative side of it as well. Could you ever put your finger on why Aberdeen managed to to do it so many times? I'll be honest, the answer to that question is no, I don't I don't know. It's just, I wouldn't say it's a mental block, but you, there's always teams that have that team they can't beat. Like, we also had it with Hamilton a little bit to an extent. Like, it's a team we just never seem to, I don't know, I can't put my finger on it, because if you did, Steve Clark would have found it and would have beat them. So it's hard to, like, know exactly what happened. I think it's just, what are these things? I think that's the only way I can put it down to. Like, and if there is a reason, I don't know what it was. Obviously, we only beat them once, I think, under Steve Clark. It was when he went down to 10 men after four minutes. And we won that game 2-0, I think I remember. But apart from it, just, just one of the teams. I don't I can't put my finger on on what it was. Uh, that's me being honest about it. I just don't know. I think to give a bit of context, only time I've ever experienced that. You know that rush of blood as a you know I'm talking as a supporter as opposed to a player or somebody watching the game. Is that game? I'm getting annoyed thinking about it. The the three red cards game. As players playing against, and I don't want to make this about Aberdeen, but that Aberdeen team. How did you find actually playing against them? Was it different playing against Aberdeen compared to other teams? Not overly. It's just I don't know that that game was crazy. Like obviously Broadfoot's head card that game. I still think it was harsh to stay. My one was very unlike me, but my head was gone as well because I understood how vital the game was in the race for third place and I didn't cover myself in glory with my... I mean, my first booking I thought was a bit of a disgrace how that Cosgrove didn't get booked as well. If you remember, it was a push in his chest that he went down pretty easily. But that game aside, it wasn't a case of... I don't know, like... I, even the game I remember we played in the Cup they beat us in penalties at our place in the replay. I remember the game up there. I went into the game. I've never been so confident we're going to win a game. I just had this feeling and Boyd just got the penalty. Can't remember where their goal came from that year, but it's just a team we just couldn't seem to get over the line again. I wish I knew why and then it wouldn't have happened so many times, but it's one of these things, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. And I guess one way to take around it is getting their manager to... <laughs> <laughs> Seen a few wee things like that creeping in. And it's funny how when you're a supporter and you're watching it, you think, I don't want my team ever to do stuff like that. And then yeah. when it happens, you think, ah, no, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Time wasting the 81st minute isn't so bad if you're... <laughs> yeah. The result. Anyway, mo- moving on from uh, from praising Aberdeen <laughs> for their whatever gamesmanship. You already kind of mentioned what the, this game might be, and it's quite an open-ended question. But as we're talking about a very important win, at, I think it's called New St Mun Park as opposed to Love Street, but um, the St Mun Stadium. What is it about that game where you think, yep, that's one that really I'm particularly proud of that? I think before it was probably, we just lost one of, it was my friend at the time, but I fell out with him for a few weeks, but I'm surprised him again. We just lost Greg Stewart back to Aberdeen, which I still bring up to him. And I speak to him quite regularly, me and Greg are good friends, but I I still bring up that I wasn't happy with him. I said to him at the time, I felt like uh, I felt like uh, a girlfriend that had been cheated on. That's the best way I could describe how I felt because I felt so angry towards him. But I knew if he came back, and I took him back with open arms. But I think we had not long lost him, and I think it was probably the only time that season we were on kind of a poor run. Well, I don't think we lost a lot, but we drew a lot. And I think we had a couple of tough games in there, and I think the game before it we drew with Motherwell now now. Um, and we, we had time off and the manager took us to Tenerife for a training camp and we went to this training camp and it just turned into like a, a bit of a holiday like we, I thought it was going to be really hard they'd made us train once or twice that's all we trained the full time and it was just a nice break really it was just a nice little holiday for no apparent reason and then but the method in it was genius I think he realised we were getting bogged down we were just having not a great time of it. I think we needed just that time to relax and just just forget about it all. We came back, went into that game on the Monday night, and if we'd got beat, we could have got crucified for having a, a jolly up away to Tenerife before a game as important as that. But we turned into that game and 
I remember the first half again. I wasn't didn't play a great first half. I was okay, but I remember the weather was terrible and it was just really hard to play in. We're going at half time now now and we've obviously looked we hadn't played great. I said, we need to win this game. Come on, we need to just get a win somehow. And I didn't realise at the time how glorified the tackle was going to be that I made. But I just, it was a corner and then I was just running back the same speed I'd always run back. But you probably don't realise how fast players have to get back into position. And obviously I've seen it go through and Simeon, who I then played with, obviously, like he ran through and goal and at the time, I didn't realise how much ground I had to make up. I just seen the ball, and I, I knew I was getting there the full time. I knew I was going to get there, and I made a. At the time, I just thought it was a challenge. When I watched it back. I was obviously really proud of the tackle that I made, and I made another couple that game. Had a really, really, really good second half. I'd probably say it was my most complete performance as a Kelly player in the second half, and obviously Liam Miller scored the really important goal at the end. But that game was really significant for me. It's got, it's got to sound a little bit selfish, but I remember that. James McFadden was doing the co-commentary, the game was live in Sky that night, who is the assistant manager at Scotland at the time. And then the Scotland squad got announced that Monday after this game. I wasn't in the squad, but then as soon as Liam Cooper pulled out the squad, I got a phone call saying, sure, would like you to come away. And my first call up, it was obviously a really proud moment for me. And I think, I, I don't think it's coincidence that the assistant manager was doing the commentary for the, the game I had, the game of my life on the TV only one week before. I think that was obviously a massive part in getting me recognised again the squad initially. And I think it came down again, but they, they obviously the sweetener was Liam scoring that goal with five minutes left. That was another late goal that we scored. And I think after that game, we went on a, a really good run. I, think we, I don't think we lost for a, a long time after that game. And I think just the full build-up from being on holiday to having that game, getting man of the match, and then within two weeks I'm in a Scotland camp. It was just it was a whirlwind of a time, and I think it all comes down to that game. There's so many things I want to ask you in the back of that answer, but I'm going to... No worries. <laughs> no, I, I'm not, but I'm also conscious I'm not going to use up too much of your time. Because nah, I'm this is a bit different from usual. I mean, it's quite fun. <laughs> it's like, it is really good to look down back and like the the glory year of that year, so to speak. But no, it's a bit different from the usual interviews that I do, so don't worry about that. Good, good. Well, okay, so the way you've talked about Steve Clark is the way that other people talk about Steve Clark. And I think you've kind of made it clear that you're happy for me to ask a kind of like a follow-up about Steve Clark, and it's in relation to this St. Mern game specifically. Now, this might be my memory playing tricks. I was at that game. It's the only time I think I've ever felt a little bit of tension is maybe like, yeah. understanding the Steve Clark time. No, I don't like me. Yeah. It's the only game. But I remember at the end of the game, this might be my mind playing tricks, but I remember Steve Clark really celebrating that result. Steve and Alec Dyer, full on hugging, high fives, like really, really celebrating it. Did the players think, oh, no, we, we need to get something for Steve here? No, I knew we'd been on a pretty bad run before that. And I don't know if it was about a, <laughs> like, man management genius but taking us away for that trip and giving us basically a, a five day holiday like it was almost like we can't let him down now like he's put his trust in us to like come back and it was but I think it was just a case of we knew we had to get a victory we knew we had to win and the relief that game of getting the hoodoo of not winning for a few off our back and I think as I said we went on from strength to strength from that night I don't think we lost for a while I think that's all we needed was a good result and I think Everybody knows that you always say, oh, didn't. it goes from a case of when's the next result coming to like if the next result's coming. And I think we're a few games away from the if. So when we got that win, see, I'm saying a bad run, I think it was maybe three games. And two were draws, and one was a defeat to maybe an old firm. So I don't know, I can't remember exactly, but it was just a case of we knew we had to win. And then when we got the win, it was just a feeling of relief and then the changing them. But I do remember in the changing the manager was buzzing that night. It was one of the few times he showed a bit of emotion after the game, and that was it's nice to see. He obviously, it meant a lot to everybody. That was a nice away end that night. I remember that. That was a fun away end. In 2019, Stuart Findlay achieved a lifelong ambition by representing Scotland. And he made the most of it, scoring the fifth goal in a 6-0 win against San Marino at Hampden Park. People commented on at the time how proud you were 
at being called up for the Scotland national team. And sometimes players take it in their stride, and but sometimes it really... And I guess I just wonder, I don't want to say what does it mean to get a Scotland call up, but for you personally, can you put into words the achievement, the sense of achievement? The call up was a strange one because when you get called up, you instantly go from the pride of getting called up to the frustration at not playing. Like, I don't care who you are at what level, I could sign for the Madrid tomorrow. If I wasn't playing, I'd be frustrated. You want to play football. So I think the better way to talk about it was when I made the cap. Like, the, the call-up was amazing. It was a great experience. But the feeling of getting the cap, I've said this openly in a few interviews. Like When I was younger, it wasn't my dream to play for like big clubs. My dream was always to play for Scotland. So I made that, that, that dream come true that night. And that's... That's that's as simple as I have to put it. it was, that was my my bucket list. That was my one goal in life. Well, so to speak, my biggest goal in the football would be to play for my country, and that's what I was able to do because it's something I remember. Even my dad used to do. We used to go to Scotland when we were younger because just just something I remember us doing, and it's I knew it was going to be a big moment. Something I always said I want to do that one day, and I was happy enough I was able to do it. And you know what? This is a, it's what we're talking about earlier about confusing different types. As soon as I asked that question, I remembered it was the interview after you scored the goal. Yeah. I just I remember as soon as I'm saying, I'm like, no, I'm talking about the call up because you didn't play yeah. against Kazakhstan. This is something that you have been asked about and you have commented on it. But the decision making process in terms of taking that leap, that leap of faith to move to America, and and what was the thought process? I think it was just that, like, football's my life. Football's in all of, and maybe I've. It's hard to word this one because I don't want it to sound as if I'm here for a holiday or whatever. But because that's not the case whatsoever. But to come to America, the life that it's given me and Megan over here is just it's something that I would I'd recommend to anybody. It was something I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd have done, and. But away from that football point of view, I honestly did believe it was a step forward in my career. It was a step to a level that's improving every year. And I think, judging by how how well the fans took the information that I was leaving and how happy they were for me, I think the fans realised it's probably, it probably the right time for me to try something new. I'd given so much to Kilmarnock and... Obviously, an ideal world, like you can maybe stay in one club for 15 years and that's all you do in your life. But I think, again, it's not what I get in the football, but the, it was life changing for me personally and, like, obviously, lifestyle financially, it was a, a life changing move for me. It's something that I think I think I just had to take at that time. And I'm glad that I've done it. I might have not played as much as I've done as I have wanted to, but. I think I've improved one as a player. I think I'm a better player now than I was when I left Kilmarnock. I think any time I have played out here, I've shown that I can play out here. And I don't think my time in, out here is finished. I think I've still got a point to prove. That's the stubborn nature of me coming back. But I think it was just a case of when this came up, it was just too good to knock back. It was a team that are one of the best teams in an up-and-coming league. Living in a, an amazing environment and experiencing new things that I'd maybe never get to again in my life. And I think it's something that a lot more guys are doing now. And I think a lot of guys are looking out with of the UK. And I think there's a reason for that. In there somewhere, there's some I'll be back vibes. But whether it's at 27 or 37, I think will be. I think people will be. There'll always be a home at Kilmarnock for for Stuart Finlay. There's there's no doubt about that. But that's not a question because that's a. Uh, Quite an annoying thing, probably, to be kind of asked. So no, I mean, I, I mean, I would, I'd happily go out there and say, like, before I came to Kilmarnock, it was just another, it was a move, it was a football move, it was a move to progress my career. But you don't, you don't grow a bond like that with supporters. You don't grow a bond with the, the people that work at the club. You don't grow a bond with your teammates. And over this, I think it, was, it turned out four, it's four years I was there for my second spell and. You're not there for that long without growing fond of a club. And me, I wasn't, I was never, when I moved to Kilmarnock, I wasn't really affiliated. I didn't have a team that I really supported. I just played football. And now I can safely say I'm a Kilmarnock fan. Like, 
And I'd be lying if I said one day I didn't want to go back to command. I'm happy to go out there and say that because I've been very open about that before. Like, I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know. There's a lot of football left to get played in my career, but where it's, as you say, one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years as a manager, I don't know. But there is a part of me I want to be back at Rugby Park one day. And I think... I, I don't need to hide that. I don't need to keep that a secret because people know that. People who know me know that I want to be back there one day because you don't enjoy a place that much and just want to wash your hands of it, so to speak. It's impossible for me. I don't know if it's the sort of person I am. It's impossible for me to feel the adoration of, I'd say, I'd say 100% of Kilmarnock fans. I don't know any Kilmarnock fans that ever personally gave me and anybody that did it started gave me criticism. I think I changed their mind towards the end. I think there's very few players that have got the privilege to say that they've got that good a rapport with the fans. I think it's impossible to feel that rapport and not feel it back. I think that's the main thing I can put down to. Like to, have, to, to feel so welcomed and to feel so loved at a club, it's very, very difficult not to, to feel that in the turn. I think that's the most simple way that I can put that. You became quite a presence around the club, a bit of an ambassador. Is that side of the job, it's extra, but is it that side of the job, does it come easy to you? I just, I think I just like being around the place, to be honest. I think, like, one of my, probably my, my, one of my best friends when I was at Kilmarnock, like I had two or three, three or four, sorry, like really, really close friends, so I'm still really friendly today, but one of my closest is obviously Gaz who lived, uh, just lived across the road from Kilmarnock um, in, the, in the flats across the stadium. I spent a lot of time with guys because I love to hang about with guys. I love getting advice off him. I love using his experience. And if he was ever doing something, he knew he'd ask me to do it. He knew that I'd come and help him because, I, I, as I say, I just I like being around the club. But any time there was something on, I, I didn't mind staying because I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going over to the hotel. I enjoyed... I enjoyed talking to the staff over there. I enjoyed going back to the stadium. I enjoyed the staff there. I just I got on with people. I was happy there. I just enjoyed where I, I just enjoyed being around the place. I think it's a, it's a event I got told that I didn't mind staying. I didn't mind waiting for a couple of hours. It's just something I really enjoyed at the time. Is there anything about your time at Kilmarnock that you're surprised I've not asked you about? Um, I'm trying to think. Good question, but as a, a thinker, that um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, like I sort of touched on it, like the the Rangers game, it finished to get third place in the league, um, the Celtic goal, we didn't really cover in as much detail as most people like to ask me about, but that's because you know, obviously knew what game meant more to me and whatever. But no, I'd say that most of it did get covered, but we covered sort of the negative side of when I wasn't doing great. I mean, it was like, for a time that felt so long, it was a whirlwind that went in so fast. Like, they four years flew in. The last year maybe wasn't... The last two years, obviously, the first year I got stopped with COVID. The second year, obviously, it ended in a really sour note. And I was I felt a little bit almost guilty that I, I left the club. And they obviously ended up going down. But I think... People realised the timing, it's something I couldn't really, it wasn't anything I could change about that, it's just something that had to happen and I was injured at the time so it wasn't as bitter a blow as at the time as what people thought. I'd say that's the only thing we didn't really cover was sort of the, the end of it but that's because it wasn't really the best the best time for the club, it was a difficult time. Maybe myself, I, st- I wasn't playing at my best but again that's, it's normal, that's a confidence thing, as, as I've mentioned before. Like, it just it was that's almost a little bit why I want to, like, I'd like to go back one day because I don't think it ended the way I like. I'd like to finish on a lot higher note, like, I'd like to finish on something on par with the game against the Angels. That'd be a great way to go back to Kilmarnock, but I don't look at that as a bad thing because it just it was a difficult couple of months that the club went through, and as I said, I was injured at the time, it was tough, but these things happen like I don't think if you said to like obviously there's other low points that we don't need to speak about because as there are so many high ones but I think the best way to look at it is in a football is a, 
a sport full of a lot of lows, especially that don't I don't think people realise as a professional football player how mentally difficult it can be. It sounds like the dream job, but it can be very mentally draining. But to be at a club as long as four years, at a club like Kilmarnock, to be able to say that the, the positives far outweighed the negatives, I think it's a testament to how good it went when things were good. Final question, and it's related to what you've said there in terms of, of games that maybe we didn't talk about. As you said, the Livingston game was, I think, the only time in, let's call it the golden the golden age or something. You're 26, but you know, the golden age of your time at Kilmarnock. In that 18 months, there was one defeat to a provincial club. But at the same time, there were a lot of really show-stopping results. Let's put them that way. I don't, I don't like to kind of deify particular clubs versus other clubs because everybody's got their club. But there are some city clubs that there were some amazing results against. If the preparation varied, how would it vary? Because I, I, I'm trying to imagine how you can set up strategically to get a result against Rangers or Celtic while also staying unbeaten against the, the provincial teams. I think Celtic and Rangers were probably the only two which was much different from the rest. I think the majority of it, even... We had a thing under Steve Clark. We always played the same block of sort of defending in the 4-4-2, attacked more down the left. It was always the same sort of tactic. But what we've done is we had like this 4-4-2. And it's basically as simple as if we played against a team that we thought we should beat, we'd maybe play with a high block. So we'd start it higher up the field. Play against a, a Rangers or a Celtic, we'd maybe play it in a low block, play it more deeper bring them on to the counter-attack. And it was just a case of, that's why we were so good under Steve Clark is because preparation didn't change. We've done everything the exact same for every game. And I think that's why, that's why it worked. We were so thrilled in what we'd done. We made little tweaks here and there, like the starting line, how high up, how deep. How deep. These sort of things that, I'm talking minuscule changes to what was already a, more or less, I don't want to say it because it sounds very arrogant, but more or less a foolproof tactic that we had under Steve Clark. And there's no need to change it. Teams have to change to play against us, and not many teams worked it out over the 18 months of wearing these here. Steve Clark's biggest mantra before every game of football was we don't have to win the game, just don't lose the game. And I think that's shown we were always solid before we were anything else. I mean, there were some games I remember. We came out and we got to a stage where we weren't sitting back, we weren't, we, we were coming out, we were steamrolling teams. I remember when we went top of the league, I was injured at the time, so I seen it all on the bench firsthand. When we beat Hibs 3-0 at home, when we beat Livingston 2-0 at home, we just ran over the top of teams. I remember one game against St Mirren, um, I scored in the game actually, we, we were we were 2-0 up and I think they made it 2-1, the game finished 2-1, but... Like there was some games we came out flying. I think the longer we played under Steve Clark, the better that we got under Steve Clark, we did become more attacking. We demolished Hamilton one game five 0 at home. I think that's the only game we won. Well, to beat Hibs three 0 at home, and at that time it wasn't even like a big result. It was just yeah, another one ticked off the list. That's that's how mental it got for a stage. I think even Greg Taylor scored in that five 0 game, didn't he? He did. He did. Yeah. <laughs> This is the I promise the absolute last question. And no I'll edit this now. If, if it doesn't, if it, if you think mm, that's a bit off, then I'll then I'll edit it out. It's only because you mentioned you're such good pals with them. Greg Stewart, and I'm talking about the players' perspective. I'm not talking about the ins and outs, so because we've got careers that we need to follow. Yeah. But if that team had stayed intact as a player, what do you think could maybe have happened? I need to say I don't know <laughs> because uh, it is a case of I really don't know because he was a part of he was um and then people forget as well we lost we lost JJ for a majority of the second half of that season as well when we had JJ we had Greg Stewart we had Rory on the right we had Burke on the right we had Brophy buying them in up top. We weren't just solid defensively. We had a potent, potent team that we were top of the league for a reason. We weren't top because we got lucky. You don't get top at Christmas by being lucky. Celtic were obviously Celtic, 
Celtic were the best team in the league by a country mile. They showed that when we went to their place thinking that we were a good team and they beat us 5-0 and sent us back and said, don't ever come to our place again. That that was Brendan Rodgers at his best. I accept that. Yeah. We wouldn't we have won the league. Let's be honest. We wouldn't have won the league, but it could have. It was already a special season, but it's just a case of who knows what could have happened. That's the best way I could put it is who knows. And that's not to take away from the unbelievable achievement that it was. 100%. That's what I mean. It's that idea of an amazing achievement, but the team itself potentially had that little bit more. But um, but then that was Yusuf Malumbu came in, right? So you know that's uh, exactly. So that's I mean, like we we managed to make the we then managed to make the. Thank you to Stuart Findlay for talking about his Kilmarnock experiences during some unforgettable times, and hopefully our paths will cross again one day. Kelly Histories is a not-for-profit project made for the Kilmarnock FC Former Players Association. Find out more at www.kellyhistories.com. Don't forget to follow on Twitter and Facebook at Kelly Histories. And leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. For a third season, huge thanks to the Kelly Trust for their sponsorship, covering all production costs. To find out more about the Trust and its relationship with Kilmarnock FC, visit www.thekillytrust.com. The theme music Clear Progress by scottholmesmusic.com is used under free Creative Commons licence. This interview was recorded in 2022 by video call, with Stuart joining from Philadelphia. I'm Gordon Gillen. See you next time.